So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Sacred Space 102 FM, which is a Common Sea Inspirations production, being produced here in our Common Sea studio here in Ada. And this the 16th of August. Yeah, the 16th of August, the 20th Sunday in ordinary time. Um, my name is John Keeley, and help me to present the programme again this morning. Shane Albers, good morning to you, Shane. Good morning, John. How are we keeping? Oh, good. I nearly got my words mixed up there, but thanks a lot, as Shane, as again, for, for joining me this morning. And of course, a special welcome, as usual, is extended to our listeners who are housebound, uh, who are lonely and struggling in some way today, and who listen to us each week and offer prayers for us each week. Thank you so much for that. We do appreciate that. Our programme uh, is broadcast, of course, on West Limit 102 FM, a local radio station here in West Limit. At 10 a.m., and of course the 10 a.m. slot these days, is uh, we use it actually to broadcast Mass from Abbeyfield Parish here in West Limerick during these times of restriction. And 11 p.m., of course, on Sunday night, is, is for a regular Sacred Space uh, programme. The podcast, of course, of, of this programme are just some of the Come and See Inspiration podcast available for playback and download on our Come and See Inspirations podcast page. That's commonseeinspirations.buzzbread.com. Just Google Come and See Inspirations and you'll get us there. You can also get us uh, on other pod, uh, podcast platforms, uh, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcast, and other platforms. And just as I mentioned that, just a reminder that maybe there are some listeners who have relations and friends abroad and who would like to tune in maybe to uh, West Limerick, to, to, to Sacred Space, of course, but also um, maybe to Mass, specifically from Abbeyfield Parish Church of a Sunday. You can do so through our own podcast platform, and that's come and see inspirations at buzzspread.com. You'd be most welcome. Uh, usually, uh, we at this part of the program, we, we, we share saints for the week, and Shane's going to continue that in a few seconds. But the program slightly changed today in that we have an interview, a very long interview, with Marion Carroll. Marion Carroll, of course, was a lady, was a lady who was from Athlone, and she was cured in Knock in 1989. And the cure was actually um, authorized, was accepted as a miracle by the church in 2019. And Marion joins us uh, to, to, to tell us of her experiences and just to share her story with us in the second part of the program. So with that bit being in mind, once we finish doing the saints for the week and I'll pray the Spirit of Communion prayer, we'll go straight into reading and reflecting on the Sunday Gospel for today. In the meantime, just to remind listeners again, if they do wish to contact us, our text number is 087-6088-667. That's 087-6088-667 or email inspirations at gmail.com. So now we'll invite Shane to share some saints for the week for us for this week. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, John. So as John said at the top of the program, um, we are celebrating the, I've lost my page, the 20th week in ordinary time. And yes, the 20th week in ordinary time. So for those of us praying the Psalter, we're on week four. So Monday is the feast day of Our Lady of Knock. It's the feast set aside to celebrate the apparition at Knock. Um, and of, now, of course, the thing about it is it, it, the apparition actually happened, I think, on around the 22nd of August. But because the 22nd of August already has a feast day, a number of years ago, the bishops asked to move the date to the 17th. So that's the celebration that we have to celebrate the Feast of Our Lady of Knock, Queen of Ireland. 
the 18th of um, August is the feast day of St. Helen or St. Helena of Constantinople. She was the mother of Constantine the Great, the Roman emperor, which, who granted the Edict of the Milan, which was toleration of Milan, which, did, which allowed the practice of Christianity in the Roman Empire. Uh, when she was created Augusta or Empress, when her son was raised to the imperial throne, St. Helen undertake a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, and she's famous for having uh, partic- uh, having led for the marking of the, sp- the sites in the Holy Land associated with the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And in particular, it's the two main basilicas associated with her are the Basilica of the Nativity, the site, I should say, of the Basilica of the Nativity in, Ro- in, in Bethlehem and the site of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. Now, she didn't actually construct the buildings that are there at the moment, but that's the tradition is she helped identify the sites. And in particular with St. Helena, she's associated with the finding of the true cross in the Holy Sep- at the Holy Site of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. So then Wednesday uh, is the feast day of St. John Oud's French saint from Normandy, died in 1680, associated with formation of clergy and education. Also very much seen as a person who's a powerful preacher, and he's associated also with the practice of the devotion to the Sacred Heart. Thursday is the 20th, is the feast day of St. Bernard of, uh, of Clairvaux, Abbot of Clairvaux, he was elected to that position in 1115. A Cistercian monk, Branch led the reform of the, of the Benedictine or the Benedictines, which gave rise to the formation of the Cistercians. Um, he's very, uh, he's very famous as a writer, uh, spiritual theology and in philosophy, but also is associated with preaching on behalf of Pope Urban II for this for the calling of the first crusade in 1094. Uh, there are 1094 1092 I can't remember which one it was. Then 21st of uh, August is the feast day of, of St Pius X. Uh, the Pius X was pope from 1903 to 1914, formerly the Cardinal Patriarch of Venice, and he's the pope that's associated with the lowering of the age of children to receive first holy communion, so he's known as the pope of the Eucharist. I think as well John, I stand open to correction on this, but I think Pius X was the first pope to travel on a train outside or in Italy. Okay. I stand open to correction on that one. I might be wrong. I must check that and come back to you next week. Then on Saturday, the 22nd, is the feast day of the Queenship of Mary. A, f- a veneration of Mary is the Queen of the Angels and the Saints, and it's celebrated on the 22nd of August because that's a week after the Assumption. And it was a feast given, extended to the Universal Church by Pius the Twelfth during the Marian year in 1955. So that's what we have, John, in terms of the Celestial Guides uh, for this week. Shane, thank you so much for that. Now, as usual, we will pray a spiritual communion prayer, especially for those of our listeners who cannot receive Jesus at Mass this morning because of the current restrictions. My Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot now receive you sacramentally, come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as already there. I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. So, as I alluded at the start of the programme, we will now go straight into our Gospel reflection and Gospel reading for this week, for the 20th Sunday in Ordinary Time. And of course, as usual before that, we'll ask Shane to share this prayer before uh, reading and reflecting on Scripture. Thank you, Shane. Thanks, John. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word reverently, attentively, and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. 
We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. <clears throat> may your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed nor our minds wander, but may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this prayer in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that, Shane. So the Gospel for today is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, verse 21 to 28. Jesus left Gennesareth and withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Then out came a Canaanite woman from that district and started shouting, Sir, son of David, take pity on me. My daughter is tormented by a devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples went and pleaded with him, Give her what she wants, they said, because she's shouting after us. And he said in reply, I was I sent only to the last sheep of the house of Israel. But the woman came up and was kneeling at the feet of the Lord. Lord, she said, help me. And he replied, it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the house dogs. She retorted, ah, yes, sir, but even the house dogs can eat the scraps that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, you have great faith. Let your wish be granted. And from that moment, her daughter was well again. So that's the Gospel for this week, the 20th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Shane, we've only got about uh, eight or so minutes left. Seven minutes. Maybe you can share yeah, a few it's, thoughts. Um, it's, it's, an, it's, it's, a, it's an unusual one, John, I suppose, to, um, to, to do reflection on. Um, trying to, 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 to earn a piece out of it. Suppose a couple of thoughts that um, that that struck me about it is first of all I suppose it's very much um, it's very much a thing for us where we sometimes have a risk of falling into one of the most ancient heresies in the church, which is that we forget the humanity of Christ and we focus purely on um, his divinity, and it's it's a challenge which. Everyone, every Christian has to deal with this, is trying to get their head around or try to understand or come to some sort of um, a, 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 a peace with the, uh, this belief that we have, this thing, what we profess, that Jesus was both true God and true man. And in the Gospels, um, there are a number of examples that people hold up in terms of demonstrating Christ's humanity. So the most common example is you know, the weeping for Lazarus after he died, his friend Lazarus, or weeping over Jerusalem um, you know, ahead of his passion. But this one that we have in Matthew's Gospel this week, it's an interesting one. It reminds us, we see before us here, Jesus's interaction, and almost, you could say, almost at a human level as well. Now, there's, there's, different, there's different views on it in terms of whether or not he was actually being kind of insulting about it, or whether he was trying to draw something out for his disciples around him and those around him. We're not quite sure. Uh, we're looking at a, a part of Israel which was heading towards what is now modern-day Lebanon. So Tyre and Sidon are now two towns and cities in southern Lebanon in the modern map. So we're not quite sure whether or not Jesus was going outside of the Holy Land. And of course, his mission, his calling at that time, as he understood it, or as he, uh, he initially understood it, was to the lost, the, lost of the lost children of the house of Israel. So it was to the people of the promise, the people of the covenant, the, the inheritors of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what we would call today the Jewish people. But at the same time, then, perhaps one of the things we need to see in this encounter is that by this encounter, Jesus is starting to see that his message is not just confined 
to the Jewish people. Um, in terms of, I suppose, looking at this, you know, this woman, one of the things that struck me about her is you could take, you could, you could look at it two ways. You could say that she's quite, uh, what's the word I would look, bolshy in terms of the way, you know, yep. she's, mm. look, she's looking for her daughter. Yep. She's looking out for her daughter. She wants to look after her daughter and she'll do whatever she has to do, like any, you know, like a good yep. mother will do. Mm for their children and she's she's going after him and she's nagging him and she's challenging him on it and the quips that come out you know the the whole thing about the the, the dogs the in the in the Israel of the time dogs was the term used for those that weren't Jewish mm-hmm. it's also a pun on the term Canaanite which is the kind of the ethnic group that this woman is from um so but she's she's quick to respond to oh even the dogs take the scraps off the table master yeah. you know so mm. as she's still she's persevering so I suppose you could look at it from the point of view that no matter how much of an outcast that we think we are or we think people are, there's never, you know, that, that whole thing of seek and you shall find. In fact, if it's truly for you, and as this woman had that great line that Jesus said, woman, you have great faith. If we are people of faith and we persevere, and I suppose to a certain extent, if you're a person of faith and you are nagging God, that's another way of looking at it, that, you know, in what in some way God will respond to your need. He will hear the cry of the brokenhearted, you know, the cry that lifts up from those of us that are put down and in some way will respond to it. Now, I always remember we had a teacher in secondary school and I remember sometimes she said, uh, one of her sentences was, God always answers a prayer, just sometimes the answer might be no. You know, so it's just something just to bear in mind. But as we reflect on this Sunday's gospel, I suppose it's to look and to see who are we in that gospel this week? Are we the Canaanite woman persevering in prayer, trying to seek out the divine and having to put forward that evidence and structure of faith? Or are we like the disciples cowering in the background, kind of trying to avoid the embarrassment? Or even ourselves, are we the reaction of Jesus realizing and being, being, encouraging those of faith around us, even though they might be seen to be outside the cohesion of the social group that we participate in. So just a couple of thoughts this week, John. Thanks a lot for sharing. And, and certainly, yeah, we could be any one of those groups. And it's, it's important that maybe we, we be honest with ourselves as we take our time to read and reflect on the gospel for today. My own short, short thought on the whole thing today was the very last line. Toward the, toward the, the second sentence from last. Woman, you have great faith. That expression, you have great faith. And we all know people who we can say that, of who, who we've met in our lives, you have great faith. You, know, you often heard it mentioned, hasn't she got great faith? Hasn't he got great faith? These people not, might not be people who can quote scripture or the catechism or even people who sometimes people refer to as being holy. But these are people who believe in God and have heard of Jesus and trust him with their inmost thoughts and worries and prayers of thanks. Maybe not too many people get to hear about them, but these are people who have that faith to communicate in, in, in their own way in, in prayer with Christ. These are the people who give us hope. And today and this week, I want to thank God for sending me the people, these people into my life. And maybe the, maybe listeners out there can think the same thing. Just to thank God, maybe just reflect on the people that we've met in our life, that the Lord has put in our way, uh, that, that these people who have come into our life and give us hope and help, to, and help us to persevere in our faith.
we thank God for sending them into my life. So now it's time for us to go for our first bit of music. And just to remind listeners again, um, the, the, the reason why this programme is structured as it is today is because we have a lovely interview with Marion Carroll. Marion, of course, was from Athlone, and still is from Athlone. She spoke to me during the week about her cure at Knox Ryan in 1989. This was actually declared a miracle last year by the church. So Marion just shares with us her, her experiences and her thoughts as she goes through that time where she was um, cured in Knock. A wonderful feeling, no doubt. But in the meantime, I did ask her what's, uh, what music she'd like us to play as, as we left the programme. And the music she's chosen this morning for us to play is by Elvis Presley. We don't play him so often, but by Elvis Presley. And this one is entitled The Miracle of the Rosary. So join us again in part two to listen to Marion Carroll tell us her story. Oh, blessed mother, we pray to thee. Thanks for the miracle of your rosary. Only you can hold back your holy son's hand long enough for the whole world to understand. Welcome back again to the second part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley. Thanks again for staying with us this morning. And by way of introduction to our guest today, I want to quote a statement made at the Knox Ryan in September the 1st, 2019, last year. Bishop Francis Duffy led the annual Ardour and Clonmacnois Diocesan pilgrimage to Knox Ryan. This is on the 1st of 1st of September 2019. This is a very special occasion as it marked the 30th anniversary of the healing of Marion Carroll at Knox Ryan while, the same pilgrimage from, while on the same pilgrimage from her home in Athlone. During his homily, Bishop Duffy recalled that September day in, two, in, in 1989. I recognise that Marion was healed from her long-standing illness while I'm pilgrimaged in this sacred space, in this sacred place. Marion's healing is good news for her, for her, her husband Jimmy, for her family and friends. Marion's healing is life-changing. 
Many have attested to the dramatic change that came about in Marion here and on her return to, to Athlone in 1989. Without doubt, there was a healing, a cure of illness that beset Marion for several years. Marion was liberated from sickness and its impact on her and her family. It's also a healing for which there is no medical explanation at present. It's definitely, and yet defies medical attention, medical explanation. So at this point, it, 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 it's, a, it's a pleasure for me and a grace for us all to welcome onto the programme this morning, Marion Carroll. Good morning, Marion. How are you? Good morning, John. I'm great, thank you. Thanks a lot for joining me this morning, uh, and certainly after that introduction there and a statement by Bishop Duffy, we're, we're all eager as to listen to your story. But maybe to start off with, Marion, maybe you can share with us the nature of your illness that you suffered up to 1989, please. Of course, John. Um, I got married on the 5th of June, 1972. And uh, on December that year, I became pregnant with our first child. And things started to happen, but I just thought it could have been the pregnancy. You know, I didn't fully understand. And then I spent a lot of time in hospital and... Um, uh, ended up with cesarean section, and after that, more things started happening. My legs and my hands, and uh, I was pushed around by a lot by doctors. It got to the stage I just didn't trust them. But it was through having constant kidney infections that eventually I was sent to the urologist in Dublin, and he sent me to another doctor, and that's when Jimmy was sent to my husband, sent to my husband, and told him. At that time, you see, there was no MRI or um, really a lot to, to diagnose MS. It was only as it progressed. And he told my husband that I had the MS, that it could remain mine, it could end up in a wheelchair or eventually bedridden. Now, he never told me, but he told my husband, and I didn't know what it was, but Jimmy had it written down on a piece of paper. And I seen it. And uh, I said, is that what I have? Well, he said, Yes, that's what they said. Well, I thought it was just something. I remember buying a flag for it that time. used to sell flags instead of the badges. The very fun. And I thought it was going to do something I'd get over. And at that time, I had lost the power on one side. And I know at that time I was deaf in the right ear. I couldn't do a lot for, for a few days because I had, had a bad kidney infection. But eventually I came home, and of course when I came home I had to have a nurse at home help. And we carried on as best as we could. And uh, then I had our daughter in 76, and things got a lot worse after that. And it ended up eventually that um, I had no power in both my legs, no power in my right hand, only limbs in the left. I was completely blind in the right eye and very little sight in the left eye. My speech was badly affected. The muscles in my throat were affected. To eat the food had to be cut up very small or liquid eyes. And to drink with a plastic beaker with a lid and a straw. All of that had to be given to me. I had to wear a collar to support my neck and head. I had to wear a pattern because I had no control over my bowels. And I had a course of the castor in. And um, I had bad epilepsy. Now, you don't die from multiple sclerosis, but you can die from the side effects and of the kidney trouble that is really going to kill me. 
And that was the state I was in when I went to Knox Shrine um, in September 89. I was just like a newborn baby in a pram. I had to be washed, fed, changed and moved. John, if you let me lie in one way in the bed at 9 o'clock in the morning and you didn't come back till 9 o'clock that night, I wasn't able to move not even a little inch by myself. You were like that for 13 years, Marion. No, I was like that for the last three years. The other years, it is, you know, you get yes. multiple sclerosis, you get the attacks, and the more attacks you get, the weaker it leaves that part of your body. It's um, what happens in the attack, the migrants sitting around the nerve strip. But when the attack finishes and the migrant sitting grows back, it scars. And that's why it's called multiple sclerosis because it can happen at different parts of the body at the same time. And the more scars, that's when the weaker the part of the body gets. Well, we come to the day in 1989, September 1989, when you went on pilgrimage to Knock. Can you lead us through that day, please, Marion? Um, well, I used to go into a, a, a local hospital for respite. And uh, I had a friend, Jerry Blaine. Jerry was in the order of Mort, and he was also an ambulance in Athlone, an ambulance driver at one hospital. And one day he said to me in the hospital, Marion, would you like to go to Knock Shrine for a day? I just said, Jerry, I'm going anywhere to get away from the four walls. But John, to be honest, I had no intention of going. I'd been twice and I wasn't impressed. But mm. it was said the third of September, they off some pilgrimage. And um, I really didn't want to go. I knew I was dying. I just wanted to leave my family. But I really didn't know how to say no. But the Friday before I went to Knox Shrine, my kidneys got a lot worse and my doctor came out. And he told me I had to go to hospital as soon as possible. But I told him about Jerry and Knox Shrine. He said, look, i let you go to Knox Shrine on Sunday, but be ready for hospital on Monday. But, John, that Saturday, I'd come to a crossroads in my life. I knew I couldn't go forward. I couldn't go backwards. I couldn't go sideways. I knew I was going to die. And I had been praying, asking Jesus and Mary to let me live long enough to see Cora and Anthony out of their teenage years. But really, they're the hard years of a children's life. And I knew I was not going to see this. And I did not want to go to Knox Shrine. I just wanted to stay and be with my family. But as I said, I didn't know how to get out of going. And that Sunday morning, Jimmy got me ready. Jerry came out of the ambulance and they strapped me into the stretcher. When we got to Knox Shrine, they brought the stretcher into St. John's, the resting care for the sick. They brought me into the nurse. And of course, she'd done all the things to do for a person in my position. And then she brought me over to the Philippine Knock, and they put me right in the centre, right under the statue of Our Lady of Knock that they used in the procession. And I realised something. This is where I wanted to be. Now, I've always had my own altar at home, but for two months before I went to Knock Shrine, I wanted so much to go in. The altar of Our Lady in my own parish church. What difference it would have been, I wouldn't know. But I think it was the fact, John, that because before I stopped walking with my illness, and if I was worried, I used to go into a lady's altar, light the candle. If I time I put my rosary, I might just say, Mother, I need you. And I always felt her two arms coming around me. And I knew then I could cope that this happened in my life. Now, John, I needed this so much. 
about two months before I went to Knox Shrine. One day, Jimmy took me into a special reclining wheelchair, which is heavy enough in itself, and he wheeled me in the whole way to St. Mary's Church here in Athlone. But when we got in, I couldn't get into a lady. I wasn't accessible to a wheelchair. So here I was, right under her altar in Knox, sat in the youth procession. And I looked up at that statue, and I saw it was the most beautiful, most friendliest statue that I ever seen in my life. I felt she was just there to greet me and no one else. And I've been thinking a lot about Diane, about Jimmy, Cora, and Anthony. I know how much Jimmy loves Cora and Anthony, and I knew they'd never need for anything in their lives, especially love. But I worried about Jimmy. Jimmy built his whole life around me. And Jimmy and I are one mother's best friend as well as husband and wife. And I was worried that when I was buried and the funeral was over, and Jimmy went back to our home because he was so quiet and been a man that people think he didn't want anybody or need anybody. And that no one reached out to Jimmy in his loneliness. Now, I know how I feel that Jimmy's the one to die in me. Because if Jimmy died in me, there'd be half of me gone. And when there's half of something gone, it's very hard to make it a whole. Those were the thoughts and feelings going around in my heart and my mind. But all of a sudden, John, I wanted someone to talk to, a wife and a mother that would understand this pain within. And I looked back up at the statue and I said to her lady, you're a mother too. You know how I feel. It wasn't a prayer. It was just from one woman to another. When the ceremony started, my bishop, Bishop Colm O'Reilly, he anointed for the anointment of the and after I was anointed, I got restless. But when it came to the consecration of Mass, it's very hard to explain this feeling. I wasn't afraid, but all of a sudden I wanted someone I knew. And Sister Antonio was a Eucharistic minister in our parish, and she brought me Holy Communion every Sunday of my illness. And I knew she was there in Knox Shrine that day. So I got one of the stewards that knew that she could be find her. When he could not find her, I was glad that I did not know what I wanted of her. But I received Holy Communion from my bishop. And after I received Holy Communion, I got very bad pain in both of my heels, which is very unusual. I was due to get all my drugs, but because of the beaker, the lid, and the straw, I decided to wait. I was home three days from Knox Shrine, and I got a little time to myself in the excitement in our home. And I looked back in that Sunday, and I realized something. I received Holy Communion normally. Something I hadn't been able to do in a long, long time. Up to that day, all I could receive was a tiny little piece of the host and a lot to drink. That day, I received the full host with nothing to drink. Also, that pain became in my heels. That pain went. And when that pain went, every pain in my body went with it. It was actually John when my bishop came down with the Blessed Eucharist and the Monstrance for the blessing of the sick. And he came in front of the stretcher. And he held it up and he blessed me. It's at that time that I got this beautiful feeling, a magnificent feeling, and like a whispery breeze telling me that if the stretcher was open, that I could get up and walk. Now, I'm very down to earth and practical. I thought it have more sense in getting ideas like this. I thought I'd go home and tell Jimmy. Jimmy always sorted everything out in my life. No matter what happened, he put my his arms around me and made my world right. I thought I'd tell Jimmy. But when they brought the stretcher back over to St. John's, the doctors at the pilgrimage that day 
his wife came over talking. We're talking for a little while, and I had no control over what happened next. I said to her, would you think I was stupid that if the stretcher was open that I could get up and walk? And she said, no, but I knew by her face she didn't know what to say. She knew me all my life and knew the condition I was in. So she actually called one of the nurses that nursed me at Lone Hospital, Maureen Rafferty. And Maureen Rafferty opened the stretcher. But she came to our home the next day and she told me she only opened it to pacify me. But when she opened the stretcher, my two legs swung out and I stood up straight. I wasn't even a bit stiff after all them years. The sister Antonio noticed that I was holding my head myself without the collar, that I was using my arms and hands, and that my speech was perfect. But when I stood up and knocked, it had nothing to do with walking or moving. Right in front of me, I see my own heart. It was so full of joy and peace and a love there is no end to. And it was so shiny, it was like looking directly into the sun. And the rays of that came towards me. It got all them gifts of the joy, that peace and that great love. This is due to the kind who found the society of knock and the handmaids and stewards. I'd never met her before. And she came over to me and said, can you read? And I said, no, I haven't been able to see right in a long time. I said, never mind, she said. Someone will read this to you. And she handed me a book. It was the yearly annual of Knox Shrine. But whatever I was fiddling at it, the page opened. And I looked down at the page open. The page read, Why is the rosary so powerful? And I could read all the small print. And I said to her, That's our prayer. That's the prayer of our home and our family. So they were all getting a bit excited. And I got around Jerry Glynn to bring me home. I sat up straight the whole way home in the ambulance. I wouldn't even lean back and relax. And coming down near our driving at Lone Town, I said to Anne Flanagan, the nurse with the order of Malta, I said, Anne, put on the collar. We'll say nothing to Jimmy. We'll surprise him. But John, I forgot I was sitting, not lying in the stretcher. I could not sit on my own for years. Even in the wheelchair I had to be strapped in. But Anne put on the collar and Jerry backed back into the drive. And Jerry got out to open the back of the ambulance. And with that, Jimmy came out the front door. And I heard him saying to Jerry, I suppose I better get the wheelchair. And Jerry said, well, I suppose you're better. In a voice that wasn't too sure what was happening. I was walking down the steps of the ambulance. Anne was one side and Jerry was the other. And Jimmy came out the front door of the wheelchair. And he said, well, Mar, I was not. But it was all right, Jim. Why would anybody bother going down there? He didn't realize I was walking. So I don't think I knew what to do. I got into the wheelchair. And with that, Jerry and Anne went off in the ambulance. John, I'll never forget the next part as long as I did. One went into a home and into the sitting room. Jimmy sat down over the patio door. And the wheelchair was in the center of the room. And I stood up and I said, look, Jim, I can walk. Oh, God, Mary said, don't. And I went over and I put my arms around him. I've never seen a man crying like him. And he got down his knees and he started thanking the Lord. Those tears. I didn't understand Jimmy's tears that day. It wasn't a couple of weeks after we sat as a family. And we spoke about the things you don't want to speak about. Fear, uncertainty, and death. And I learned a lot. I learned there was times after Jimmy washed, said, changed or moved me. And he left our bedroom. He got down on his knees and he asked the Lord to take him and to cure me at the Christmas before I was cured. 
the freedom plan to be the best as we're going to be the last together. How my family suffered, John, yet how rich I am, because all they gave me was abundance of love and the knowledge been wanted. I've never looked back since that day, and now I work in my ministry, and a very important part of that is this sick that I, that, that I go and see them when I can and pray with them, and that's very important, as well as the churches and that. Marion, thank you for for recounting that to us. And just a few questions that just come to mind. First of all, how how did how, how did all of this affect your own spirituality? You obviously had a lot of faith, even though you've been always, praying for years. But yeah, I always loved praying, and I always loved having a, an altar. And um, you know, it, it it I it wasn't it wasn't much different in a sense. It strengthened us, of course, a lot. But I was always very, you know, aware of what the Lord could do. You know, I often, you know, I remember one time I'd been at a funeral and they were saying, you know, um, we believe, I remember the priest saying, we believe that when we die we go to heaven. And I remember thinking, I said, no, I know. You know, that was, I always felt that way. And um, there's a, a funny part too, because you know when I was sick I, and I couldn't see right, and I remember one day there was a cross up over the door of the bedroom, and I couldn't just barely, you know, I could see the shadows of it. And somehow or other, I started thinking about um, the Angelus and praying the Angelus, and I was trying to remember how to pray it. But Jimmy used to say, "When we prayed the Rosary, I could say the first part of Hail Mary a hundred times." Because I wouldn't, you know, my brain would be working. And then I start thinking about, you know, the Holy Family and Mary. And um, when she said yes to the angel, it was a magnificent thing to be asked to do. But there were cold lights a day. You to tell her mother and father that she was pregnant. And I could see her trying to, to get out the words and listen to her mother and father and saying, what are we going to tell Joseph? And I start living with them while everybody else had... Coronation Street and all of them. I was living with the Holy Family. That was my soap opera. Marion, how did all of this affect your own family life? You know, um, relations with your own family now. I mean, obviously, this was this was a tremendously beautiful event to happen within your own life. But how did it affect the other members of your family? Well, you know, as we look through the years, and you get wiser and look back. You know, even um, when I was writing my book, from the time I was born in my mother's womb, my whole life has been preparation for what I'm doing now in my ministry. And those 17 years of my illness hurt my whole family. I mean, they don't, they don't know what it's like to watch an illness and, and feel inadequate and, 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 you know, the things that, that, that happen, the financial and the whole lot. But they have great understanding of that. They have. And um, so never mind if I'm, you know, if I have to go or away or, or, or if anybody comes. Before I ask you there about your your work and your the few ministers that you're involved with at the moment, just going back to the to the cure again, to the miracle again. In your case, uh, this was pronounced as being 
a miracle 30 years after the event. That's in September last year. What, what did this mean to you? You know, did this... Um, well, to be quite honest, I, I had to laugh at some of the media was saying that I campaigned. You know, it wasn't any election. You can't campaign the Lord or anybody if it happens. But it, it, it was, for me, it wasn't so much I wanted for myself. I wanted the fact that it would be recognized the true presence of the living Christ in the Eucharist and the power of the true presence. That was the important part of that for me. You know, and, and that was a big thing for me. It was so important. And also, let people know, I'm just an ordinary woman, a wife and a mother and a grandmother now. And I'm nothing special. And I've done nothing special. And to know that, that you don't have to be um, a certain person or uh, a certain culture or uh, whether you're wealthy or anything. That's nothing got to do with the Lord. You can reach out any time when it's right. I prayed afterwards, John, to know, you know, my about cures, you know, because I was feeling bad. I would go to people and here was I and they were younger than me and, you know, the parents were asking the person to cure. And I spent a lot of time in prayer in the Blessed Sacrament. The only reason the Lord doesn't cure a person from a fatal illness or, you know, people that had car accidents and walked away from the worst ones and the simple ones that died. Right? The Lord is the only one that sees the future. And if there's going to be a loss of pain and suffering, not physical, we can get the injection of the tablet for that. It's something we can't cope with in life. What father would leave his child in a place they're going to be unhappy? A father would bring his child home to protect him. To have them near and protect him. And that's the only reason that he, he, he doesn't reach out. I'm sure it wasn't for me. It was for you and the other people. And if you know that he is there. And our lady is there to intercede. But we're so human at times. We actually need to see, touch, and see God's love. My cure is that gift to the people. Not to me. Because it was to myself, I would be constantly home with Jimmy. And just an ordinary woman. You know, it's... It, I, I'm married and have a wonderful family and have children, but it's a lonely life. I have friends, but I not, don't get them to see the world for coffee like other women or things like that because I'm away so much at times. And then, you know, it, 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 you have to look at things. If you do plan to go somewhere and someone is very sick, they come first. Maybe you might just, at this stage, maybe you might just share with us maybe some of the ministers, some of the work that you're involved with at the moment. Well, I am actually, I invited the churches to speak. And I go to the churches and I speak there and um, usually the priest brings down the Blessed Sacrament um, down the aisle and I'll say the intercessory prayer and I'll meet the very sick then. A big part of my ministry when I'm free is it's very important to me. If you were sick, John, and you phoned me for a prayer, and I was anywhere free, I would come to you. Because Jesus says, I have no ears, no eyes, no voice, no feet but yours. And that's what he would do. He would come if he walked among us. 
the man. So I do that. I go to school when I can. And um, I really enjoy that because I get hungry with the young people. And But when I go there, I talk about my teenage years and, as well, you know. And um, time and home in and some of the, the little problems that happen. And I tell them that I, I have taken about confidentiality. If whatever anybody says and tells me, it doesn't go any further. So I tell them they can phone me any time. And as I do say to them, if you come with your mother or your father to see me and you come in first and your mother or father comes in afterwards and say, well, what does he or she say? I can't tell them, I said. So I tell them that phone me if they have a problem and they need to talk to someone and um, then get my number in Knox Shrine or, or my local parish church and give it to them. And if they haven't got the credit, I'll phone them back if they leave a message. And if I need to meet them, I go and meet them. That strikes me there. You went in and you said you speak with young children. How do young children react to your story? Well, it's uh, marvellous, particularly now um, the secondary schools I go to, because um, you'd be surprised. Um, they always want to meet someone like Jimmy, and if I do tell them to, you know, pray. But sometimes life uses a hand that's not great. But never give up because Jesus is always there and is there for us. And um, I will talk to him about different things, you know. But I do enjoy um, about talking about mass. But you cannot go into young people and preach to them, you know. Yeah. In our short interview today, we've covered the main points of your of your of your miracle cure. However, there's some listeners uh, can read more detail about a new book that you just put out. Can you tell us a little bit about the book? I think it's entitled My Miracle Cure. A bit about that's that. right, that's right, and there's some forces in it. You'll see me in my little cute dancing costume. <laughs> but, um, yes, um, John Scally, John is, is a local man. He's actually uh, a lecturer up in Trinity College, and um, John came one time there to interview me for a radio program, and he said there's a book in this, and that's how the book came about. But I, it's not. I talk about my my childhood and growing up, and um, you know, thing, different things, and um, also about uh, when I was a child, I had TB, and um, you know, as you said, in the fifties, when you got TB, I was sent to Piermont Sanatorium. And if you went into Piedmont Sanatorium, you very seldom came out with TB at the lung. It was usually that you came out in a coffin. But at the time, there was a record out called St. Teresa of the Roses, 78, and my father bought it. And I thought it was a, I loved it. I fell in love with St. Teresa. And um, I always, you know, I always prayed for her and things like that, and my little prayers at night. To me, it was always, the Our Father to me was the greatest prayer. God gave it himself. But anyway, um, I was in Mount Sanatorium, and a week before I went, I was saying my childish prayers, and there was a small statue of Our Lady of Lourdes on the dressing table, and it lit up and smiled at me. Mm. And um, I called my mother and father, and but they thought this is it, I wasn't going to get to Mount. And the priest came, of course, and anointed me whatever at the time. And a few days after that, I was sent to Piedmont Sanatorium. And we weren't allowed having visitors then. And 
it was told my father to come up in, I think it was two or three months, maybe to arrange for the kind of form to get a lung collapse or something like that. I'm not sure. But when my father came up, they told me to bring, bring me home. I was cured. There was no sign of CD. And my father organized the building of a grotto of Our Lady of Lourdes here in Athlone and Thanksgiving. Now, the funny part of that is, after I was cured, I didn't know a lot about St. Therese. Just the record was the, the one as a child. But after I was cured, we ended up in Lisley. So we did. And that night we went up to the Basilica in Lisley and they were showing the story of St. Therese's life. And there was a friend behind us that spoke French and he was telling us what they were saying. And it came to the part of St. Therese when she was sick that the statue of our lady came alive and smiled at her and she was cured. And Jimmy just grabbed my hand. And when we came out of the of the silica, the person who was with us said, what went on in there? Something funny went on with the two of you in there. And I said nothing. And, and he said, there is just something. And I said, Jimmy said, well, I'll tell you. He said, when I met Marion, he told me about when and how the statue lit up of Our Lady and smiled at her and how she was cured. And I got a shock to discover that that was St. Therese as well. You know, and that's in the book, things like that. The Lord certainly had work for you to do through all your trials and tribulations in your life. So most of that, I'm nearly all of that would be in your book, My Miracle. Actually, one of my best friends read the book. Mm -hmm. And they know me. And they said, Marion, I didn't realize you went through so much. Yes, you make light of, you know. So, in all good book chapters, they say, My Miracle Cure by Marion Carroll. Maybe I could just finish up the interview with one question that um, maybe there's a few of our listeners would, it, it might be on their mind. Many of our listeners have and continue to pray for a cure to their own illness, whether that be a knock in the home, in the local church, or whatever, and they're still waiting for that relief. What would you like to say to these people today, Marion? No matter when you pray, or what you offer, it's answered. But you see, we do forget as humans that God is our Father. And no father will give a child a useless gift. It's no use healing the body if you need inner peace, inner healing. If you need some brokenness in your life, and growing up. The Lord always answers a prayer and, and does heal. But just open up your heart and see what you need most he gives. Because that's what a father gives, what a child needs most. A father is not going to give a child a packet of sweets when it needs a good dinner in its stomach. So the Lord gives what's most important. And that's very important I've gone to people um, that are sick and, and I've prayed with them. And people have been very bad with cancer. Not going to leave. But if you ever meet anybody that has cancer and they're happy in themselves, they have found the healing. They're just waiting for the cure of the body. And the funny, the cure of the body doesn't become important because they have the healing, the inner peace, mm -hmm. the acceptance, the understanding and the, the knowledge that God is with them. But that is the healing. And then you're just waiting for the cure of the body. 
But you need to open up your heart and see that. And look every day, every day of my illness, I looked at my blessings, my husband and my children. If someone came to visit me, it was a blessing. You know. And God sends us all these things. He'll always answer. Don't ever think he doesn't answer. I can't guarantee anybody if I pray with them, or pray for them, that they'll win the lotto. But I can guarantee them, whether I pray with them or not, that Jesus answers every prayer. But you've got to open up your heart and see where the answer is. Marion, what a wonderful way to finish off our, our chat this morning. It's so good to be able to join us and to, and to share with us. It was a pleasure, John. It was a pleasure to join any time. And the book is My Miracle Cure by Marion Carroll in all good bookshops. I know there's certainly some in Lermick, in the maybe Knox Ryan Brewer um, shop in Lermick, and also the St. Augustine's Church there in Henry Street, in O'Connell Street. In I think you get an Easton's and any good bookshop. Any good bookshop. Mania, thank you so much indeed for, for sharing thank your you, story John, with us today. Me, and may the Lord bless each person that is listening today. And yes. may he send his love that will touch their heart and receive his presence. Beautiful way to finish. What a lovely prayer to finish off with. And we, we traditionally always ask, suggest a song. What would you like us to play for yourself this morning, Marion? Um, well, I, I got to, John, I have two favourites. I have Elvis Presley in The Miracle of the Rosary and in He Touched Me. And uh, I always felt, I always loved Elvis, and I always felt that even though he was a Baptist, that no matter when he sang a hymn, he prayed it. He wasn't just singing for the cell records, but he prayed it. And I know that every time before he'd done a concert or anything, he actually took his Bible and said a prayer. Okay, well, look, let's do it this way. Let's play He Touched Me Now at this moment, and then after our gospel segment later on to finish off the program, we'll also play by Elvis Presley, The Miracle of the Rosary. But in the meantime... God bless you. Thank you so much for, for, for sharing your face with us. And that's most important because this is a face program and this is a program where an awful lot of people tune in each week to try to, to get themselves encouraged and to sustain their faith uh, in all the trials that they have. You certainly helped with that this morning. God I'll bless you. I'll keep the intentions of all your listeners in my prayers. Do that, Marion. Please, God, we'll speak again sometime. We might even meet up. In the meantime, let's go and listen to Elvis Presley and he's singing, He Touched Me. Touch me and don't you 
joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know He touched me. Oh, 